Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. So I'm here today with Larry Quinlan, who is a principal at Deloitte, one of the world's largest professional services organizations with over 330,000 people in more than 150 countries and territories. Larry has held a number of roles, including Global Chief Information Officer, and was responsible for all facets of technology. Additionally, he serves as Dean of the Next Generation CIO Academy, Deloitte's CIO Leadership Development Program for Client Executives. Larry, how are you doing? Doing well. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks. I'm really glad to host you. I've been looking forward to this one, both based in Miami. Your background looks like you're over Bikiba Skane there somewhere. This is the Aventura area and that background is Sunny Isles. <laughs> Sunny Isles. Okay. Yeah. It looks absolutely beautiful. And I'm, I'm here in, uh, in Brickell in uh, Miami in South Florida as well. So I know we're both probably in the midst of handling the nice hot summer, but from what I understand, you uh, you started out life in the Caribbean. My, my family is actually from Antigua. I'm, uh, I also represent them for cycling as well, Antigua Barbuda. So I think we've got a bit of a connection there. Was it St. Kitts? Yeah, St. Kitts. So we're just 15 minutes by plane from Antigua. <laughs> very Amazing. That That's is very... a coincidence. Yes, exactly. And it's uh, we're, no, we're no strangers to the tropical weather, which is kind of awesome. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really good to have you here. And anyone who looks at your background, sees any of the things you've been doing, and hopefully they all do after the show, it's pretty obvious you're uh, you know, a major player in the industry. And by that, I mean someone who leads uh, a large amount of people with humility. You're a visionary, you inspire people, you know where technology and information services are going. But also, I think the way you seem to put people first from the things I've read about you and heard in other talks as well. So that's pretty much why I'm so excited to be with you on this podcast today. And basically, I want to start off, Larry, just talking to you about your leadership philosophy. Tell me a bit more about what goes what goes into creating this leader and global CIO of such a large company. Let's start with the notion that people matter and that they really, really matter. And it's a cliche, I know, but one I cling to as much as I possibly can. When I look at the structure of organizations, they're different. When I look at the strategies, they're different. Different CIOs have created different approaches to the organization. The thing that really matters is the quality of people, how inspired they are, how innovative they feel, how how they believe that every single day they can make that organization better. And I believe that's no accident. It comes from leaders who believe in people. It comes from leaders who inspire. It comes from leaders who understand that strategy is important, but getting people to embrace the strategy is way more important if execution is going to occur in some significant way. So when it really 
what it really comes down is that people really, really matter and that we actually have to lead as if they do. That makes total sense. So I don't think it's cliche. It makes total sense and especially the way you lay it out. And there's so many facets to how that's put together. It's starting off, of course, with I mean, where are we going? You know, How do we hire those people we're looking for? How do we educate them, train them, align them with the culture, values, and vision of the, the organization? I think it's so much more important to, to get people to really know that vision and it's a mission we're behind. If you can align everybody towards a shared goal. I think the saying of not having people feel like they're working for you, but they're working towards a shared mission or belief. That's a really great way that I, I've seen to get people aligned and uh, and have them feeling, look, I'm, I'm turning up today to do something I care about doing. I want to achieve this. So when Larry or the other leaders of this organization are saying, let's go in this direction, they're going to follow the, the guidance because they're seeing that you're not telling them what to do. You're kind of inspiring them towards how to do? Is that a fair way of looking at the kind of things you're talking about? Absolutely. The military calls it commander's intent. You can tell people exactly what you want them to do. Go up this hill, go to the left, return fire, take the hill. Or you can really indicate the purpose, the intent, which is you know, due to enemy action, this is a strategically important area for us, and we really need to figure out how to secure this territory. <laughs> and you really leave it to the experts to, to truly figure out because, you know, the fire they expect may come from the right, not from the left. They, they may have to move in a different direction than, than was scripted, but they understand the mission. They understand why the mission is important. And you really got to trust people. If you've laid out a mission that makes sense and you've taken the time to explain it, and by the way, you collaborated on the creation of that mission where it's appropriate so that people feel bought into it, and you trust people to actually go execute, you'll get a far better result than a micromanaging prescriptive approach to telling people exactly what to do. Yeah. So leading with context, you know, leading with trust, hiring people that I don't mean in terms of age, but in terms of mentality are mature. They're self-selecting. They can be accountable and responsible for the tasks and, and the goals, the outputs essentially that get them towards the results and the, the mission that we're working towards. So to totally agree. I'm very much on a similar mindset with how I look at these things. And, and from other industry leaders, I've got the had the pleasure of talking with. I can get a sense that a few people are on this, quite a few people people who are doing well in high-performing organizations, they do think in the right way. And then, of course, from time to time, it's not necessarily on the podcast or in these places where I would meet the, the types of anti-leaders that we would maybe consider as case studies to not do. But, you know, I've seen them in life and I've heard of the stories as well. So um, to get to where you are personally, very senior role, a great background and, and having worked with so many different organizations in your career, how would you describe the importance of mentors and sponsors in your own life? Mentors and sponsors are absolutely critical, indispensable. You just can't get there without them. I, I can't stress that enough. One of the reasons I stress it is we have found, research has shown, that minorities, women in technology, sometimes believe that they've got to do it alone, right? I can't be the first Black CIO. I can't be the first woman... Uh, X or Y, you know, I, I need to be known as a great leader. I, I, I don't want to be put in that box. I don't really need the help of others in this way. My work will speak for itself. 
And it's a losing proposition because everybody you're competing against is getting help. So for you to be guilted into not accepting help <laughs> while everyone else is simply puts you further behind in the race. Mentors and sponsors then are critical in my view for success. In my particular case, every major pivot in my career was accompanied by either solicited or unsolicited help from my mentors and sponsors. People who, when I wasn't smart enough to ask for help, realized I needed it and helped me anyway. To become a partner in the firm, people helped me. To become global CIO, people helped me. As I transitioned into board service, people are helping me every single day. They're reaching into their Rolodexes, their networks, they're calling people and they're saying, you should talk to this person. I want to introduce you to this person. Every role at Deloitte I've had, someone stood up and said, I really think Larry is great for this role. It, it doesn't get better than that. It, it, it is an absolutely essential part of the journey. Thank you for your transparency with that, because I think that's so interesting and great to see and hear. Way too few people are as open about the, the journey they've had. And I think people are very quick to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm great and I've done this because I because of myself. And that doesn't mean I'm not for a second. And I don't, don't think either of us are saying that you haven't done it from your own skill and knowledge and everything that's come, you know, encompasses who you are. At the same time, you don't do it alone. You know, you need to have a network. You need to collaborate with people. You need to build trust in the same way that you're inspiring people and leading them with trust. You have to become trusted by your own group, people that see you performing and have to think, okay, I'll take that. Even sometimes I'll take a punt on this person. I believe they're good or they deserve an opportunity. They may be different to the person that I promoted last time or maybe this, whatever the, the reason is. And even sometimes if it means getting a, uh, a a leg up in the system in a fair way that says, I deserve a chance to move forward, I, I'll become the first black CIO or I'll take that role in this position and so on. That's, that's fine because everyone is using their network, whether it's the first school people went to, whether it's going for university, whether it's because of who your parents knew. And it doesn't mean everybody's had this, but a large portion of people who are very successful have had their network help them get there and their own success combined with that and hard work and other things. So for you to say that, it's awesome to hear. I really hope a combination of the junior and less experienced listeners that we have who are getting into the industry are hearing the way Larry's talking about this. And I also hope hope that other leaders that listen, because we have a combination of both. And I hope that the leaders are listening and thinking, wow, like this, this man is actually so open and transparent. And the more that all of us can become like this, I think we actually create a industry of people that can grow together and can network and not be afraid of kind of taking opportunities that are in front of them. Actually, the speech I gave a few times and turned out to be a very lengthy title, but it's <laughs> How does a skinny black kid from an island of 35,000 people become the global chief information officer of the world's largest professional services firm? <laughs> and the answer, the punchline is people helped me. Right? People helped me along the way. But as I went through my journey and I realized that people helped me, it gave rise to two key thoughts. First, putting some effort into understanding why. They could help anyone else. Why would people choose to help me? What kind of person do I need to be to attract help, to deserve help? 
And I put a lot of thinking into what it means to be counted on, what it means to be on someone's team, what it means to be trustworthy in terms of executing the mission where you can be left alone and people just know that you are going to go execute that mission. Once the door is closed, you're not going to deviate and just make up your own mission because you just think you're smarter or something like that. You're on a team. You have a responsibility to that team. But the second thought it engendered in me was the notion that I have a responsibility to help others, that it's not a nice thing to do. It's a responsibility. I am required to help others just as I was helped. And that's been part of my mantra, really thinking through how I help others, how I reach across whatever that divide is and think about how do you give people a leg up in the system and provide the same kind of experience that was afforded me. So that really, that strikes me as a great way to move into our more focused topic on DE&I and how leaders can support and teach that because it's, um, it takes allies. It does. It takes firstly the understanding where the issues are, which quite often stems from things like lack of representation, uh, the inclusion part. So, you know, you might hire someone from a more diverse background or a less represented background, do you include them in the organization, in the conversation, the way the culture looks, feels, and, and shows what you're doing and gives you an idea of you're really thinking of this at a higher level. You know, the leaders have to be on a certain page as well and have to take note that, yes, it's fine to, to proactively support groups that are not as represented in order to make a place. The way I put it, Larry, is we can't build products or services for society without including the people that use those products and services, which is everybody. So if, you, there's, a, if there's an imbalance in, we, we all know that a lot of the statistics, but if there is an imbalance in your representation, DE&I, it's likely that your company is actually not going to perform as high, highly as it can perform. And that's just the, the company and business reason behind it. And then you add things like diversity of thought, you add in the fact that it's a social mission and cause that does actually matter if you do care about the, the world as a whole. So there's a number of reasons why, why, of course, this is important, but you've worked with so many different companies through your roles, directly and indirectly. So how can leaders further support and even teach DE&I? And by that, for the listeners, I'm referring to diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have to be intentional about it. This is not, a, this is not a, an area where we can simply hope for the best. This is not an area where we can simply offer smooth words. We have to be intentional about our strategy and we really have to boil it down. <laughs> I remember once after sort of a frustrating uh, time of thinking about this topic, I went on stage. I literally went on stage and I said, we've talked a lot about this, but sometimes I don't believe we are clear. And I said, there for me, there are different aspects of diversity. One of them is representation. And here's what I mean. We're going to hire more women in technology. We're going to hire more Black people in technology. We're going to hire more Hispanics in technology. That's what it means. All the fancy stuff we're talking about is interesting, but I need to know that you understand what this means. And I need you to know that I am completely unapologetic about it, that this is the right thing to do. And we are going to 
focus on it and make it happen. And I went on to talk about equity and other things. And then I said, but there's an inclusion aspect to this that goes beyond everything I've talked about. How do we create the kind of organization where every single person, black, white, tall, short, Jew, Christian, Muslim, everybody feels gay, straight, everybody feels that this is a place where somebody's got their back, where everybody feels that their aspirations can be fulfilled here and they feel respected. And I said, these things are all important. And I went back and I said, but don't forget, we're gonna hire more women in this organization, <laughs> <All right? laughs> We're gonna be accountable for this. <laughs> and that's a conversation that I believe had, had to be had. We're intentional about it. We're in essence, making sure that everyone understands that we've got a mission to fulfill. We've got a strategy to execute. And being intentional about it and holding ourselves accountable for it becomes a really important element of this exercise. I think that that is a really lightning way of doing it. It's uh, it, it's exactly that, you know, how you said it, we're, we're trying to walk around the wording, we're trying to be, I think, it, I understand why people are concerned that if they say the wrong thing or they try and mention, you know, oh, did I say black or did I say women or did I say Hispanic? And they're concerned that by talking, they're going to get themselves maybe in trouble or the company in trouble. You know, can we proactively do these things? Well, actually, it's, I think personally, it's fine to say, look, there's a problem. There's a lack of representation for certain groups. And those groups are, like you said, women, uh, black people, uh, Hispanic people, LGBTQ plus, and, and we've had others that we've just mentioned. And so it's understanding which area we need to focus on and having a clear direction to walk towards. So I think that's really useful. It's something I've even been doing in my own, own organization as well. And being more explicit, look to, to the customers I talk to, hey, here's what I'm talking about when I'm saying I'm going to improve representation. It's these groups. And at the same time, I also make it clear, which I think aligns really well with what you just said. It's also to create teams and organizations that are inclusive of all people. Because by doing what we're talking about, we're not leaving anybody out. We're proactively supporting the groups that are already being left out and are not represented as well as they should be. And then you still continue to build inclusive teams. So to make that further clear for people listening as well, we don't mean don't hire anyone that's white or don't leave out. We're not saying leave out white male from the conversation. We're saying everyone needs to be represented and that's part of the team, right? So it's likely that that part of the team is already there a lot of the time. And there's going to be other people that can be hired that are also great. So that's kind of, I think, what we're referring to there. Completely agree. So Larry, you're very involved with, with information technology and you're on the DevOps Diversity podcast. So let, let's get into some technology topics. You know, let's think about some of the areas that you have focused on and improved for within Deloitte and within other customers that you've also supported over time. So something that's on a lot of people's minds at the moment is transformation and modernization. And, and with that, we'll even add in digitalization. How are we working towards these current real hotspots and what are some of the things that can be done? These concepts are not new, although they're being written about as if they're new. Clearly, technology has been on a modernization and digitization bandwagon for decades. <laughs> uh, the implementation of ERP systems, the implementation of desktop systems, uh, movement to the cloud, all of this is part of the process of digitizing the enterprise. But there is something that's new. 
And that is we recognize that technology has gotten to the stage where we can do two things that are really, really important. The first is we can truly use technology to digitize, for lack of a better term, the means of production. That instead of digitizing around the edges of the organization, we can actually digitize the mission of the organization you know, the core aspects of it. And while there have been in the last decade technology companies, uh, there is the notion now that many organizations can truly benefit from digitization in a number of ways to make the connection with clients more effective, to make the production line more cost-effective, to reduce cycles from processes throughout the organization. So the notion now of systematic digitization of the entire enterprise is, is, is really an effective one today in ways that it couldn't be before. The second is the digitization of what individual people do. And that's back to the whole notion of focusing on people. In the old days, we, we sort of built technology for leaders, for management. And now you really got to build technology for the actual people who are going to use it and to make them productive, not insist that they have to show up for eight days of training on the computer system and and, and really make it effective for them using concepts like mobility and AI and moving it to the cloud, which allow them uh, to experience something far superior to what we could provide for them before, focusing on the user experience is actually an important element of it as well. So the time for digitization is now, not that it's new, but that we can do far more with it today than we could have many years ago. And taking advantage of that is a strategic priority. Some of the the key points there, talking shortening cycles, we're talking making technology easier to use for the individual users, making technology available for the masses as well within organizations so that people can actually deliver the work at a faster time with higher quality or at least the, the same quality. And and while doing so, it, it's increasing the entire experience. It's less failures. It's less fear of, ch- of trying to make a change and something going wrong, more reliability. Um, and, and again, the whole technology, now, as, as you've said from the beginning, it's, it's always modernizing. It's not like tech modernization is this brand new idea. I think it's a very hot topic right now in the sense that we've got to this stage that it's it really is everything around us. It's how all organizations operate. We built them, some some organizations and at least the, the enterprise technology systems and some of these legacy systems, they were built by a select group of people a few years ago. And then we've realized there's so much technical debt, there's infrastructure debt. And I think also now we're in this phase where we're realizing there's people and process debt as well. And so by getting closer to that, it's not just saying, well, the tools and the technology. I say this a lot and I'd never want to make it sound like tools and tech don't matter like that they are the reason we're able to move so quickly and the changes we can make so quickly and get tech in this amazing deliverable fashion where we can have an idea concept uh, for, for our user or for our own company and then we can get it to the masses very quickly without making mistakes that that's amazing uh, at the same time getting the processes right like the technology comes from the processes and the processes come from the people and if we don't have the people aligned and as we said motivated and Uh, inspired and also collaborating in the correct way, things like team structures, topography, the culture of those teams within there, how they all communicate, 
then we cannot do those processes in a efficient or high quality fashion. And then we cannot build the technology in turn. Completely agree. Absolutely. So Larry, we're, we're at the time for our, uh, our quick fire questions. We usually run through three of these and I'd love to get some insights from what you think. So question one, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing that you tell your younger self on day one of their first job? I would tell myself that it's not the role for everyone to agree with me. <laughs> I think back then I felt like, you know, you're young, you're cocky. Everybody's job was to agree with you. <laughs> and what I learned growing up is that disagreement is actually healthy if it does well. It broadens your perspective. It gives you alternative points of view. The end result is usually better with that collaboration than with everybody just saying, yes, Larry, you're right. Aren't you great? I think everyone who listening probably has been through or is going through the same thing. I think that's actually all of us learning to understand and uh, manage our own egos right like we we it's fine to have an ego it's learning how to address it and accept when it's there i I used to be exactly the same expecting people to just agree with what i'm saying and then i started to realize actually if they disagree with me and they're and they're right then i can learn something today and i'm going to be smarter tomorrow than i was today and they also feel good about it so totally fine to be wrong it's more about understanding the ways to go about it and, and listening to people so number two what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders i look for people who are intellectually curious they really want to figure out why and why not and they want to apply some level of science to understanding that and have the ability to then execute on the findings. But the beginning of it is intellectually curious. Thank you. That's a, that's a great one. And, uh, and number three, what is the number one non-negotiable skill that you expect from everyone that you hire? I expect non-negotiable. That people are going to become famous for something. It's an intriguing skill in some way, but you've got to have a value proposition for yourself. You have to dig in and decide that you're going to be good at something. It has to be a reason why we're going to say, I need Larry on this team. I need Jane on this project. Because you have taken the time to become famous for something. You either studied it, you became a great practitioner at it, You understood it deeply. You became eminent and you could talk about it. You quietly delivered it uh, repeatedly, successfully. There are different ways to get there. But you have to want to become famous for something. And that's a non-negotiable trait for I've got to say that that is such a great and cool uh, way of looking at the non-negotiable skill become. And I know know you don't mean necessarily famous, like you're a rock star. You could be that you become the expert of that thing. So for people who are thinking famous, we mean like becoming an expert or great at whether it's leadership or a tech skill or a personality skill, whatever it could be. It could be, I'm going to assume that you're referring to in their life in general. It could be that this person was a uh, Olympic track and field athlete or tried to be got a knee injury but got very far along the way and then they said hey larry i have discipline motivation determination all these things i've done in my own life and now i want to pursue this role working in technology or in this part of the organization on the business wherever it is but i have something special and they can negotiate with you and explain why they're special for that reason i'm imagining that's what you're referring to 
Absolutely, along with the traits that go along with that, the willingness to work at it, the willingness to set a goal and actually execute on it. The understanding that progress isn't linear, that sometimes it's a one step forward and two steps back and not giving up and, and packaging all of that into the notion that to become famous for something, to become good at something, really means that you've done all of those things. <laughs> which makes yeah. you really attractive in my view. Absolutely love it. I completely understand it and think that's a great way of looking at it. being a well-rounded person that has a really good expertise in something and can set long-term goals, prove that they've done that over and over again and they've failed and they've got back up and kept going forward. Really, really good advice and a great thing for a lot of people to listen to, especially if you're coming out of university right now and you're thinking what am i going to do what skills do these big leaders and these big companies want from me find that thing within yourself find whatever that skill is and really think about it foster it and then bring it to the next interview that you do and you might be talking to someone in larry's team even that might or you know, larry's team's team or whoever it is you might find someone that absolutely loves that trait of yours i had a person a couple of years or last year i think it was where they were saying yeah, like I'm world champion level at karate. And I said, well, that's, it doesn't matter what role you're going for. Like, that's amazing. That shows who you are. That's way more important than any tech skills you've got. We can figure out the rest because if you can learn to get to that level in one thing, you can do it all over again. So don't worry about it. <laughs> so Larry, we've, uh, we've come to the end of our time. And I've got to say, I've been sat here smiling the whole time. You've probably seen me because I just think all your insights are fascinating. I love hearing from your experience. Your mindset is so positive and, and correct in the ways of how you approach society, how you approach business and organization. So really inspiring person and just feel very grateful to have hosted you today. And thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to seeing you around Miami. Sounds good. Or Antigua or St. Kitts. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dellenbank, and this episode was brought to you by Strategio.